You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church in Midlothian, Texas. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, visit Stonegate-Church.com. Good morning. Ah, uh, yeah. I have been uh, tasked this morning to, to introduce to you the third or the second petition of the Lord's Prayer. And I, and I must say just outright or for the man that, man, just, just, just in, in hearing uh, these last two sermons and now studying this particular petition of the Lord's Prayer, it's given, me a, it's given new light and meaning to me when I pray this. That it's just not simply words anymore. It's something that I'm finding myself now not just praying with, not praying over with my daughter, but really believing then that, God, that, that you want us to b- believe and to, and to pray uh, this prayer or some similar to it, God. And, and, and God, and know that you're active and that you're listening to us when we pray these, uh, uh, this prayer. And so this morning, man, I pray, man, that, man, that when you leave here, man, that you will be found uh, uh, often praying your kingdom come uh, and let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, so our will be covering for us Matthew chapter 6, uh, 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 verses 10 this morning. When you look at Matthew chapter 6, Verse 10, you find that it's something different than in, in Luke chapter 11. Uh, some, uh, for some reason, God and his providence saw fit for Luke not to add, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That, 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 that God saw fit for that portion of this prayer not to be in, uh, 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 not uh, uh, not to be that, w- that what we see in Matthew 6 that we don't see in Luke. Because there are some scholars that, that when you begin to study this, uh, they kind of like lump the two together. And yet some treat them as separate, separate requests or separate petitions, man. So I think that, that this third petition is simply an outplay of this second Request, but yet the second and third is simply an outplay of the first. Sanctify your name. And so today I want to really just focus on your kingdom come and let that also uh, 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 cover uh, the, the third petition. Now it's, it's, it's just a reminder in Matthew chapter 6, from uh, chapters 5, 6, and 7, has been called the Sermon on the Mount. So when Christ is preaching this prayer, he's, he, he's in front of crowds or, or a crowd of people. And he's, he's preaching. This, this has to be the greatest sermon of, of all time. So he gives them these beatitudes. What is to be the attitude of those who possess the kingdom? And yet, so when you go on into chapter 6, he's now saying, he's now going to teach them to pray, your kingdom come. Now, if you are a first century hearer of this, 
the way we hear today and the way they heard it back then is quite different. Uh, back then, you would know that, 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 that the Jews, uh, that the, 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 the Romans were ruling the, ruling the Jews, that it was the Romans. So, so you had this idea of, of, the, of the Jews waiting a particular Messiah who will come and free them from the, the tyranny and rule of of the Romans. They, they recall Zechariah chapter 9 about this, this Messiah coming in on a white horse and him now establishing his kingdom for his people. So, man, so when they hear him say, your kingdom come, they're saying, yes, yes, it's about time. Has the Messiah come? Are you going to set up, here it is, your physical kingdom? And that wasn't what God, Christ, was getting at. He, he didn't come to set up this physical and or political kingdom. And so when they're hearing this, they have, they're, they're, they're having these mixed emotions. Man, it's when you say your kingdom come, is that physical? Is that to happen while you're here? Or is that something spiritual? But they always started as something physical, that, that this Messiah, this anointed one, will come and, and, and will overtake the Roman government and set up government for the Jews, uh, a government of the Jews and for the Jews. That's how they're hearing this. So, so, man, so, 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 again, they heard this quite different than we hear today in America or in the 21st century. They were expecting this Messiah to come and to rule over the Roman government. Now, fast forward 2,000 years to our time, we know that that was not the case. And so what I want to do is, is unpack for you, what does it mean for us to pray your kingdom come today? What are we saying? What are we trying to get at? What, when I'm praying that prayer, when I'm praying those simple three words, what is the heart of God, not only to the crowd then, but to us today? When we pray your kingdom come, are you saying that we're praying for something that hasn't come yet? Is it, is it past? Is it, is it only future tense or is it both and? I hope to answer for you that simple question on this morning. So when you're praying for this, this kingdom, what, what I want to say up front is this. Us praying for this kingdom is not saying that God has ever stopped being, uh, that, that his kingship ever stopped. So to pray for his kingdom is not to say at some point in time that God the Father, he lost his kingship in the Old Testament. So what happened was that when, when, when Eve and Adam messed up in the garden in, uh, in Genesis chapter 3, they kind of gave over dominion of the world to Satan. But God never stopped being king. You see this in Psalm 103, verse 19. The Lord has, has, has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. You see, even this ungodly king 
Nebuchadnezzar, he, he says, for his dominion is, a, is, a, is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from one generation to the next. So, so even though God, he's, he's going to eventually set up his kingdom on earth, he ne- his kingship was never in question. He's always been king. He's always been sovereign. He's always had his hand involved in the history of mankind. He's always been the man. But he's now, but his desire now is someday to establish his kingdom on earth through a man. So he's king. Even Joseph said when his brothers sold him out, what you meant for evil. God, who was sovereign and all-powerful, he turned it out for my good. He was still king. He was still in control. But the enemy, the enemy had some power. The Bible calls him the God of this world. He is the prince of the power of the earth, the Bible says. Even in 1 John 5, 19, it says, and the world lies in the power of the evil one. He has some influence. He has some power. But that all power, if you don't believe me, ask Job. He'll tell you that, that Satan having power, his power is somewhat limited. So what I want to do for you this morning is to explain what is the plan, what is the purpose, and what is the perfection or the consummation of the kingdom. That when we pray this, that, man, that we get a, a, a better idea of what we're praying. But then, then how can we play a part in this kingdom that is to come or is it already? Today we have found out. And then we'll hear that how we have been tagged and tasked and challenged to proclaim this kingdom to all the nations. So, the kingdom. Y'all listen. I was trying to find a definition for the kingdom. I read some great guys. Anthony Hoakima went to John Piper. Uh, I went to Tim, uh, Tim Keller, and man, I was sitting there, and I was reviewing this last night, and as I was praying, God said, son, if I never defined the kingdom, why are you trying to? I've described it. I told stories about it. I even gave parables about it, but I never in Scripture defined it. So why are you trying to wreck your brain to define what it is? So I stopped. I deleted it. And you get today what you get, amen? The definition is not in play, but the, but the description of God's aim, plan, and purpose for the kingdom is clear in Scripture. So I will do that for you and not try to give you some, some unbelievable, nice, wonderful, spiritual definition of the kingdom. If God didn't define it, that's probably a hint for me also not to. So, what I want to first go over, though, is, is the idea of when we pray for the kingdom, what, what, is, what, is, what, what is the plan of the kingdom? What is, 
what is the plan? What, what's the plan? And here it is. It is for God to rule and to reign in mankind through Jesus Christ. The plan of the kingdom is for God to establish his rule and reign in mankind, not in a particular place or realm, but he wants to establish his kingdom in mankind through Jesus Christ. That, that, that God wants to reign and rule on the inside and not on the outside. Now, there's this guy named Satan, our adversary, the enemy. He wants to rule and reign to us with, uh, by external situations, things that happen that, that tend to control and to make us decide things. Now, God can use those things, but God will never use a situation or a circumstance to rule or reign over you. He wants to do that solely through Jesus Christ. Again, he might use things on the outside to get your attention, but it's never meant to rule, to reign, to govern you. He wants to do that through Jesus, through Jesus Christ. And again, the world wants to use things, materials. But then you hear Christ saying in Matthew 18, what would it profit a man to gain the whole world? And what can man give in exchange for his soul? God is saying, you cannot accumulate enough stuff to make me change my mind about your eternal destination. So if that, was, so if that doesn't sway God, if stuff doesn't sway God, believe me, he's not, a try, he's not trying to sway you through stuff, but through a savior. J.I. Packer has this to say about this. The term kingdom is used in both testaments for, for both God's universal sway and his redemptive relationship to individuals through Jesus Christ. The plan when it comes to the kingdom of God is for God to rule and reign in mankind through Jesus Christ. That's how God is going to rule and reign. That's how he's decided to rule and reign today. But what is the purpose? So I know what the plan is. The plan is for him to rule and reign in mankind through Christ. But what is the purpose of the kingdom? The purpose of the kingdom is to redeem God's people from sin and from the demonic powers uh, in the end of Satan. God's plan, when we pray for the kingdom of God to come, God's plan, God's plan in that prayer is to redeem man from sin and from Satan in his angels. Uh, 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 Someone would call this, this, is, this, is, uh, this has been coined as, as, as the kingdom of grace, where God, he is redeeming man through the death, burial, and, shedding of the, uh, and shed blood of Jesus Christ. That when someone believes in the gospel, in, in, uh, in the gospel of Christ, that that person, that individual, he or she then enters into the kingdom of God. Again, this is made possible by the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. 
Even anti uh, uh, Wright, a New Testament scholar, has this to say about God's kingdom coming into play. He says, the death, burial, and resurrection is the decisive event demonstrating that God's kingdom really has been launched on earth as it is in heaven. The death, burial, and resurrection is the introduction of the kingdom in a dark and pervasive world where God, he decides to redeem. Paul says that in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin according to the riches of his grace. So we see that this idea of blood, even looking at Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, that, that, that it defines as life is found in the blood. The atonement for mankind was made by the blood. In Romans chapter 5, verse 9, we see that we have been justified by this blood. And in Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 to 20, we've, we've been reconciled by this blood. In Hebrews 13, 12, we, we've been sanctified by this blood. In Revelations 12 and 11, we have been deemed conquerors by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. There's power in the blood. For saints, man, that shit bring us some joy. That the blood of Christ, it accomplished a lot for us as his children. Again, we've been redeemed by it, justified by it, sanctified by it, reconciled by it, deemed conquerors by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Even to the point in Psalm 107 verse 2, it says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. If you've been redeemed by the law, why don't you say so? The blood, it's power. So, so when we're saying, God, your kingdom come, we're saying, God, redeem people from sin, but also redeem them from the hand of the enemy or, or, or our adversary, which we see also in Psalm 102, I mean, Psalm 107, verse 2, that says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so whom he had redeemed, uh, 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 redeemed from the hand of the adversary. And maybe you're asking the question, well, how did God in Christ redeem? How, how, what do you mean he, he redeemed us from the hand of the adversary? Well, for your listening pleasures, why don't you sit back, relax, and let me read for you Colossians chapter 2. Or you could see it also on the screen. But I prefer you just lay back, chill. Let me, let me grace you with how he redeemed us from the enemy, from the hand of our adversary, found in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 through 15. And it reads, in you. That's you who were dead in your trespasses and, and the circumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses and sins by canceling the record of debt and that, that, that stood against us with all its demands. This he set aside, nailing it, that is the debt 
and the demands with it. He nailed it to the cross. But here's the good part. He, God, dissed on the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them and him. This word disarmed. Are y'all familiar with the story in Acts 19, the sons of Sceva? These sons of Sceva, man, no, no, they've, been, they've been witnessing Paul uh, 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 man, uh, 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 cast out demons. So they thought they would give it a try. They go, man, to this man that's under, that, that, has this, that has this evil spirit, and they start trying to cast out. You got these seven sons trying to cast out this one spirit and this one land. Do y'all remember what, what happened to them? The Bible says that this evil spirit jumped on them, whipped, whipped them naked. He stripped them. And he also wounded them, which is kind of a picture of what Christ did to Satan and his bars on the cross. He stripped them of all so-called power and authority. But if you are now a child of God, Satan has no rule and or dominion over your life. The Bible says, greater is he that's world in us than he that's in the world. If you are a child of God, God, he disarmed him. He's going to destroy him for his glory and for your sake. That's good news. So when I proclaim God's kingdom, he's going to redeem me from sin and from Satan. That's the kingdom coming. When he's going around casting out demons here and there, the kingdom is now in your midst. He's doing it. The, 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 the kingdom and Christ has come. It's the kingdom of grace. And now, man, that when he saves us and, and when he transfers us from the dominion of, uh, from the domain of darkness into his kingdom of his beloved son, man, he has redeemed us. He has delivered us. And with that, man, with saints, we can rest assured according to scripture he has disarmed him but he also according to Hebrews he took for him Satan's final little weapon and that was death that when Christ got up from the grave Satan no longer had keys of death and haze they belonged to Jesus when we proclaim when we preach the kingdom what are we saying? Is that, man, that, that we are acknowledging that God has a plan to rule and reign in mankind through Christ for the purpose of redeeming God's people from sin and from the demonic, the demonic powers and also Satan. So when we're praying for the kingdom of God, listen, saints, we're not praying for God's kingdom to come into existence. That came with Christ. We're praying that God's kingdom will come in dominance. 
Fat man, listen. Every time a person throws their life, or, or, or that person throws his or her life on Christ, God's rule and reign is established in their hearts. And that, as the more people that, that trust in Christ, the greater the kingdom, the greater the rule and reign God has. And listen, this is a mystery. It's a mystery because we don't see this. We just know it. Even in his parables, he said, man, even in, in some of the parables, he said, man, that this kingdom is hidden and this kingdom is a mystery. But it is growing slowly. Each day, the kingdom of God is gaining more and more ground as individuals come to know and treasure Jesus. That's when the kingdom is coming. But also, the kingdom comes in light of the perfection or the consummation of the kingdom. Now, I've been married now for almost nine years. And uh, for a time there, we dated, my wife and I. And uh, I, I, I just couldn't wait till the, till the day of the wedding. And men, you know why. I'm like, man, why are we having a reception? Who is the reception for? I, listen, listen, I have one thing on my mind. No, two things. Showing you how much I love you. Amen. And then... Consummating, amen? That, 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 that when my beautiful bride, and she was fine, y'all, when she walked down the aisle and, and, and all dressed in white, looking mm, mm, good, I'm sitting there crying, tearing, but boy, I'm excited. Oh, yes, God, the consummation is coming. It's coming. It's coming, baby. And we're sitting there, man, I'm sitting there, man, I'm waiting, man, and man, then we, then we, man, so now all thoughts went in my head. Why don't we just, why don't we ditch the reception? They won't miss us. Right now, I don't need longer, I promise you. Just, I, I, let, let's come. There was a longing in me to be consummated with my wife. If you're saved and you know Christ now, there's a longing now for your consummation with Christ the bride. Who's the groom? You, 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 we are the bride, and y'all listen to me. He is longing for us, y'all, to consummate one day. And listen, I can give no credit to this. I think if I was going any further talking about this, I would probably mess it up. So let me let the book of Revelations ex explain to you what I mean by this. Because y'all listen to me, listen, listen. If you have experienced the kingdom now in Christ, there's a desire, there's a longing for you and your groom one day to consummate. Look what it says here in, in Revelations chapter, uh, chapter 21. Man, there's a longing, man. There's a longing for me in this. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. This, this earth as we know it now, it would be no longer. And I saw a holy city, a, a new Jerusalem coming down. So this new Jerusalem, this holy city is going to come down 
from heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Verse 4. In this new city, in this new kingdom, called the holy city and the new Jerusalem, when it comes down, look at what God is going to do. He's going to wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be Mourning, no crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things, the life that we know now, this tension that exists between the already and the not yet. The former things will pass away. It's going to pass away. And he who was seated on the throne of God said, Behold, I'm not in heaven refurbishing anything. I am making all things new. Also, he said, John, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. I don't know about you. But I'm longing for the kingdom to come. Y'all, I got a bad back and bad knees. I cry like a baby every once in a while. I said, I, I struggle, man, but there's going to come a day that when his kingdom finally comes, there'll be no more sin, no more trouble, no more death, pain, sorrows. To no, he's going to wipe it all away. And I'm longing for that day. And, when I, and whenever I go to a funeral and I see a person who I know who's lived a life loving God and others who cherish Christ, I'm kind of jealous because they got there before I did. I'm jealous now. Whenever I go to a funeral, man, you, you beat me. These bills are still coming. But in heaven, God will be the light. There would be no more need for sun, no need for moon. He, the kingdom of come, will be our light. I'm longing for that. 
So when I'm praying for God's kingdom to come, I'm praying, God, listen to me. I'm glad you saved me. That's why Paul had this angst. Man, for me to be gone is better, man, but to stay where I do it. But God, I, Paul had this longing to be with Jesus, not with the saints. God, get me out of here. But while you are down here, he's leaving you with a purpose and plan to pray, to pray for his kingdom to come. How do you play a role in this plan, this, this, this purpose, and this consummation slash perfection of the kingdom of God? If you read down a little further in this chapter, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, he says that, in summary form, stop seeking the things that the Gentiles seek. Stop living for this world. He says, but you, if you are a child of the kingdom and you have experienced this kingdom now, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things he said, they will be added Unto you. Now, this idea of seeking, it connotes the idea of a striving for. It's a pressing into trying to make this thing a reality, not just a one time thing, but it's a continual thing to happen in the lives of Christians. Why? Because as we seek God's kingdom, as we pursue, strive for, try to make his kingdom our present-day reality, there are areas in our lives where we are not loyal to him as we should be. Whenever we, whenever we pursue his kingdom, seek his kingdom, what we're doing is that we are surrendering all of our life and saying, God, the areas of my life where I'm not loyal to you, I'm submitting them to you. Because I want to be found as a loyal subject, a loyal servant, a loyal child of yours. And if the truth be told, all of us have areas in our life where it does not display a complete loyalty to Christ. It says that when you come seeking me, striving, trying to make my kingdom a reality in your heart, and seek my righteousness, that is, commit yourself to a life of obedience. Don't pursue and don't obey. They're both in. As you pursue him, you all, as you pursue the kingdom, you also obey the king. Seeking and obeying, they come hand in hand. And he says that when you do this, I will add things unto your life. As you come in full submission and surrender, say, there are areas in my life where I, I, I have not completely surrendered, where I am found disloyal to you. I come submitting. 
I come submitting my, my, my total being to you. And y'all, when that happens, oh, what a blessing it would be when God finds his loyal subjects, servants, and kids surrendering and submitting their total life where we are wanting to be completely ruled by him. Now, isn't it good news knowing that we'll never get there on earth, but that Christ was completely loyal to his father on our behalf, but it does not negate the desire that we should have also and seeking the kingdom and also wanting to obey him in all things and areas of our, of our life. More Lord Jones had this to say about this. Jesus is saying to set your affections not only on things above, that is God's kingdom, that's to us, that's Christ now, but also to be anxious about your spiritual condition, your nearness to God, and your relationship to him. Saints, we need to practice preaching the kingdom to ourselves. But also, we need to practice proclaiming the kingdom to others. Your kingdom come is a missional prayer. It's missional in its prayer request. It's, it's saying, God, we want your kingdom presently in, in, its, in, 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 in its finality to, to come. Well, that doesn't happen without us proclaiming the kingdom to all the world. Look what it says here in uh, uh, Matthew 24, 14. And the gospel of the kingdom of uh, uh, and the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Mark 16, 15. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel of uh, to the whole creation. Listen, that's just not on some. That's for all of us to do. And he, he gave us the, the rubric, the plan, so to speak, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where he says, But you, his disciples then, will receive the power uh, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, here it is, in Jerusalem, that is, the place where you live, in all of Judea, that is, in your neighborhood, in community, in, in your workplace, in, in Samaria and to the end of the earth, that is, to our country and beyond. That when we're praying that your kingdom come, God, what we're saying is that we want your kingdom to not only spread in our hearts, in our homes, with our neighbors, God, we want your kingdom to spread throughout the world. And as Rod preached some time ago, that we are the means of that happening, that we are the mouthpiece of proclaiming the gospel while it's the Spirit of God that takes the gospel, that presses the heart. And now they enter in, they see the kingdom by being born again, according to John 3, 3 and 5, that no one can enter or see God's kingdom without being born again. And it takes somebody to proclaim the message. Guess what? That's you. That when you pray for God's 
kingdom to come, that you cannot pray and not actually get in the game. You, listen, you pray for it. You pursue the kingdom, but also you proclaim the kingdom until Christ calls you or he comes back. We are to be found proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom with our life and with our lips. When we are praying this, when we are, when we are praying this, listen, it's just not a three-world line that, 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 that we pray and go home. Are we doing this? I pray this prayer over my daughter every single night, almost. Not every, most nights. But there's a new reality. That when I stop and I'm praying these small little words over my wife and daughter, I'm saying, God, let your kingdom come and my four-year-old daughter. I just don't want to be in heaven without her. Let your kingdom come to my neighbors. One is a Buddhist and one is a Muslim. Let your kingdom come. And he says, son, it can. You don't know if, but I need you to proclaim the gospel to him. I've been neighbors with Vin and TJ for over a year and a half, and I've yet to proclaim the gospel to I've gotten comfortable. Nice neighborhood, kind of. I got my man cave. Watch football games and basketball games up there. I hang out with other Christians often. And I've yet to invite Vin and TJ into my home. Which goes to what David Platt has to say in his book, Radical. The price is certainly high for people who don't know Christ and who live in a world where Christians shrink back from self-denying faith and settle into, here it is, a self-indulging faith. That's me. In the gym, that's me, self-indulging. At Walmart, that's me. At Kroger's, that's me. At my kids' schools, that's, that, that, that's me. Self-indulging, it's all about me. While most Christians choose to spend their lives fulfilling the American dream, six figures, two cars, nice house, a dog and a son and daughter, or more kids than that, two or three degrees, four bedrooms, three baths, it's the American dream. while your neighbors rest in the domain of darkness. We are pursuing the American dream. No more. 
If we're praying, your kingdom come. We got to stop being lazy. Stop fearing rejection. And if we pray this, play a part in the kingdom of God coming into the lives of those whose lives are now resting in, found in the domain of darkness on their way to hell because we are pursuing the American dream. Suburban world. So-called garage. More cars that we can drive in. But a lot of Christians have spent their lives fulfilling this rather than giving their lives to proclaiming the kingdom of God. Literally billions, millions in America who are in need of the gospel remain in the domain of darkness. There are people around you in your midst living in, that, that is remaining in the domain of darkness and you won't say a word. But we pray your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's desire is that all will come to know him. That's his desire. He's patient, long-suffering, that, that none would perish, but many would come to repent about And guess how that happens? With our mouths and our minds made up not just to pray his kingdom come, but to be involved with the kingdom of God coming to others as well as refining and redefining our lives. I'm not saying that having a nice house and a good car and degrees are a bad thing. But it's a waste if that's all you pursue and you know Jesus. You are a pilgrim, an alien. This is not your home. Stop trying to make it that. This stuff will rust away. Thieves will, will break in and steal it on a route. You cannot carry stuff with you. But what a day it would be that when you enter into God's kingdom and there is TJ, there is Vin, my neighbors in the kingdom because God had used me to proclaim the gospel to them. What a joy that would be in my life. That that stuff is eternal. Stop grabbing hold and trying to cling to this, uh, this, this, this temporal stuff that's here today and is gone tomorrow. Stop chasing it. And live in light of 
the kingdom. Your kingdom come. Your will. Let it be done. On earth. As it is in heaven. Father, we thank you. I stand convicted. And you did that this entire time while I was preparing for this sermon. You, I felt myself confessing more than actually preparing because you were dealing with my own hearts. And suddenly you have chased after the American dream yourself. But you prayed. And you pray almost every night this prayer, but it has no after, it has no afterplay in your life. You pray it and you move on. But no more. When we pray, your kingdom come. I pray that that does something to us. That it's an invitation, here it is, to proclaim the gospel to others and to preach the gospel to ourselves. And Father, maybe there's one here who, who's here and said, man, I know that I'm not in the kingdom. Because the Bible says the kingdom is not of food and drink, but of righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. I, I don't have that. Faked it a long time. But Father, I'm praying that your kingdom will come to me now, that your rule and reign will come into me, that I may now proclaim it to others, God, because of what Christ has done for us. God, I pray that the kingdom will come presently in its finality. And that we would accept with joy, would honor the privilege to proclaim this message to all who know you and all who do not. We love you and we thank you. If you're here and, you're, and, and you want, and, and you've heard this and you want, Man, just to learn more about what it means to, to invite God's kingdom in your life, to, to live for Christ. But there's a card in, uh, under your seat. Check that card. Uh, want to know Christ. And man, some, somebody on staff, we will, be, we will make sure to give it to you this week. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church, located in Midlothian, Texas. For service times, additional audio and study resources, as well as information about our church, please visit us at stonegate-church.com.